The West Wing Weekly is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter. That's right. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but it doesn't stop there. No, with their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, West Wing Weekly listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address. ZipRecruiter.com slash West Wing. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-E-S-T-W-I-N-G. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. These cheese episodes have been a cottage industry for us. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> you got any more? No. I'm sorry. Ricotta anymore? <laughs> Boom! You're listening to the West Wing Weekly. My name's Rishikesh Hirway. And mine is Joshua Molina. And today... We've got a special episode. It's the return of Big Block of Cheese Day. Yeah, it's been a long time. Big Block of Cheese Day. In the spirit of Andrew Jackson, and I'd like to think probably the only thing we do in the spirit of Andrew Jackson. <laughs> That's true. Although you do give me a hard time, and I'd like to think that it's in the spirit of Andrew Jackson that you terrorize an Indian. <laughs> huh. That's perfect. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I, I can't top that. Well done. Andrew Jackson, while he was president, had in the main foyer of the White House, I can't believe I'm giving this speech, a two-ton block of cheese. In that spirit, Leo McGarry designates one day for certain senior staff members to take appointments with people or groups that wouldn't ordinarily be able to get the air of the White House. And we're going to jump right in with a big block of cheese day question about big block of cheese day. Liat from Israel asks, Hi guys, my question is, if you could bring up an issue to present to Leo on big block of cheese day, what would it be? Well, let's see if we can't answer this right to left for Liat. <laughs> That's actually a good question. I posed this to my son, who's never seen an episode of The West Wing, as he's not a big fan of my work. I explained to him the premise of Big Block of Cheese Day, and uh, I told him I desperately needed an answer to this question, and he immediately came up with exploration of the ocean's depths. Hmm. He's very interested in marine biology, he has pointed out to me on many occasions that I think estimates are that only 15 to 20 percent of our oceans have been explored, mm -hmm. and only 5 to 10 percent, they say, of the ocean's depths themselves have been explored. So 70 percent of the planet is water. We haven't looked at much of it, and when you go deep, we've looked at very, very little of it. I remember when I was a kid going to a Museum of Science exhibit in Boston, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, that was about the ocean floor being the final frontier on Earth. And, uh, you know, here we are so many decades later. <laughs> well, if we do my childhood, it works. <laughs> and it's still, it's still unexplored territory. Yes, it is in fact the case. I, I read somewhere more humans, a dozen, I believe, and all have walked on the moon than have traveled to the deepest parts of our own planet Earth. <laughs> crazy. So there are submersibles. It's, of course, the tremendous amount of water pressure at the depths of the ocean that makes exploration of them so difficult. I believe my son told me the average depth of the ocean is 12 to 13,000 feet, which wow. shocked me. Mm. 
fairly stunning. We all know Mariana Trench, the deepest point in the ocean. We all know it. You could drop Everest in there and there's still like half a mile of water above it. It's pretty amazing. And new species of marine life are found and with great frequency, even despite the fact that we don't explore as deep below the surface as we might, or if we threw enough money at it, uh, we could. And that's where I guess my son was also suggesting that there could be monsters down there. There could be enormous... (laughs) Now we get to the heart of the real question. This is what made me... Exactly. This is why you could hire a real character actor (laughs) for this big block of cheese plea. There could be, you know, Nessie-sized monsters down there, Mm -hmm. and we ought to get down there and explore them for the safety of our citizenry. Mm -hmm. So if we were to pair a cheese with this question, Mm. it would obviously have to be a blue cheese. Boom. Nicely done. (laughs) A deep blue cheese. For my part, I think a good big block of cheese day question, one that I believe in, but also I think has great crackpot value would be um, sending someone to Leo to argue for the abolition of daylight savings time. Mm, Nice. I like it. There is a hashtag lock the clock for people who are in support of keeping our settings the way they currently are right now at daylight savings time. I think there's, again, a lot of evidence that points to why it would be a good idea. There's, in fact, a great storyline in the West Wing in 20 Hours in America when they're in Indiana and they're confused by the state's own inconsistencies around sticking to daylight savings time. Are you guys stupid or something? It's 1.45 right now. It's 12.45. No, not here. It's not. Oh my God, she's right. See, you crossed over from Unionville into Dearborn County, which doesn't observe daylight savings time. I think it's bonkers. We just changed the daylight savings time and it's a huge relief and I can't imagine why anybody really needs to go back and forth. I think our current president agrees with you. I think you've finally found common bond. That's true. Yeah. All right. One down. One down. Next question. Hello there. My name is Francis Reyes from the UK. What was the West Wing's cast drink of choice? That's an interesting question. I don't even know what your drink of choice is, Josh. Hmm. Well, I'm guessing back then it would have been beer. Okay. I like my beers. I like a good craft beer. I like sour beers for which I am sometimes mocked because they taste a little bit like if you dropped a sweet tart into a regular beer. (laughs) Oh, I see. So it's it's not that they're too hardcore and unpalatable. Uh, I think they're just mocked. Sour beers are fantastic. They are mocked because, I mean, some of them are kind of Swedish. Some of them just other people find repulsive. They make you pucker up. I like sour candy and I like sour beer. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to tell you how a sour beer is made, but I don't really understand what it has to do. Something to do with yeast and bacteria and, and how they act and uh, lactic acid. I'm just going to accept they put a sweet tart in a beer. Okay, fair enough. That's how I make it at home. But, uh, these days, uh, I'm enjoying tequila, a nice Blanca. Um, but let's, let me get to the... Uh, I went straight to the proprietress of our, not onset, but near set watering hole and that was Alice and Janney. Right. The Flamingo Lounge is what you used to call it? Well, I asked her about it. That was my memory was the Flamingo Lounge. I wanted to know if during its heyday each actor had a favorite drink or how it operated. And here's the answer I got for for a little bit of the origin story of the Flamingo Lounge. Allison said, I know that my love of playing music was what started me off as having the quote unquote party trailer. And then Brad gave me one of those alcohol bottle carriers, the one that hold the bottles upside down and distribute a shot at a time. 
I definitely loved hosting people in my trailer. I loved being around our cast so much. I just wanted the party to never end. Her split infinitive, not mine. I believe my trailer was known as the Pink Flamingo or the Flamingo or Janny's Trailer. So I guess I made up Flamingo Lounge. There was no specialty drink that I recall. I had a fully stocked bar in there, though. I believe we drank responsibly, though. This is like, I feel like this should have been in smaller letters. because It's <laughs> such a disclaimer. I believe we drank responsibly, though. No one was doing scenes loaded or anything. Right? I believe that's true. I think maybe we discussed this, too. I have had a tipple or two before a scene where my character is meant to have had a tipple or two. Mm-hmm. I feel like I never quite pushed the line there to really be drunk when you're supposed to be drunk. And I think uh, I would like to do that. <laughs> but I'm afraid of vomiting at work. <laughs> maybe when the stakes are lower. Right. Well, my only way of contributing to this question was to think of what the drinks of choice for each of the West Wing characters might have been. I would have been disappointed had you not gotten the extra set. <laughs> I was kind of expecting this. Bring it, hit me with it. Well, as best as I can piece together, for CJ, based on what she orders at the bar in Mr. Willis of Ohio, she would like oh. a grasshopper. She didn't bring my grasshopper. She didn't? No. Maybe she just felt really stupid ordering it. The grasshopper is a perfectly respectable... I'll get it. I'll get it. I want to see them make it. (laughs) (laughs) It's called the grasshopper. Straight up. Make sure they make it extra thick and green. Nice. Sure. Which I don't know what that... I don't know what that is. I'm trying to remember what that is. I used to... uh, You know, I bartended briefly. I didn't know that. Oh, that's right. No, I didn't know that when you were working at the uh, Playhouse Theater. That's right. And I went to bartending school before that. And then I briefly was in charge of the back bar at a restaurant in Manhattan. Uh, But having only trained for two weeks at whatever New York bartending school, I had all the kinds of drinks written down on index cards. Uh Uh-huh. So that the waiters would come and they would order all their drinks. And I'd say, oh, okay, uh, two grasshoppers, sure. And then I'd duck down behind the bar. I'd read, grasshopper, uh, <laughs> that's a creme de menthe, creme de cacao, one ounce, fresh cream. And I'd pop up and I'd pour it. Creme de menthe okay. is, I guess, the key ingredient. What else you got? Well, for the president, it would be an egg cream. Toby, I'm drinking the most fantastic thing I've ever tasted in my life. Chocolate syrup, cold milk, and seltzer. I know it sounds terrible, but trust me, I don't know where this has been all my life. It's called an egg cream, Mr. President. We invented it in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn? Yes, sir. Not New England. Nice. Have you ever had an egg cream? Oh, have I? Oh. Why, do you have a particular place of choice? I don't know if you ever went to the Yankee Doodle R.I.P. back when it was around uh, in New Haven. Sure. They used to make a really delicious egg cream, and that was the first time I, first place I ever had one. And I believe, in fact, actually, I was introduced to egg creams by our very own Margaret Miller. No kidding. Yeah, she and I would sometimes get egg creams at the Doodle together. Yeah, I think my dad grew up in uh, Brooklyn drinking them. They are, of course, made with milk, mm-hmm. fizzy water, and syrup. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure you can do an alcoholic version. There, there must be some cocktail. And Lou Reed, uh, I think, has a song about egg creams. My preference is the vanilla egg cream. I think the president is drinking a chocolate egg cream. All right, here's a group answer. Sure. For Mrs. Bartlett, Donna, CJ, and Amy, it's a bottle of wine with plenty of cork in it. Nice. And dead Irish writers, they go off to get boozy. That's right. And um, they can't get the cork out of the bottle properly, and they just drink it with the cork. This is an excellent corkscrew. Just slides right in there like power steering the right... Tool for the job. Corkscrews suck. Should I call a steward? No, we don't need to call a steward. I'm board certified in thoracic surgery. I think you're supposed to pour yourself first when you're pouring wine in case there aren't any little pieces of cork. 
mm. so that you get them. Right. I may have made that up. It's like a, like airplane mask etiquette. Pour yourself a glass of wine before you pour one for your child. Right. Very good. Although I'm, I'm quite sure we're in the situation I would put my kid's mask on first. <laughs> I can't believe anyone actually does that. But it's not a... Oh, I see. <laughs> I see what you're saying. You would help your child put on their mask, not you would take your child's mask and put it on yourself first, which is what I thought you were saying. Well, when you're down to it, I'm not really quite sure. But I, I like to think I'd, I'd put his or her mask on him or her. It's like, wow, you, you'd put your kid's mask on first. You wouldn't even put on your own mask. You wouldn't even use your own mask. All right. Well, two questions down, I think. Okay. Well, yeah. Two questions well and truly answered. What's next? Our next question comes from Jamie Rogers. The one-time characters and their actors gave the show its breadth and depth, but sometimes their brief appearance left me hungry for more. I'm looking at you, CCH Pounders, Deborah O'Leary. Which character or actor is it for you? Hmm. Great question. We've commented many times on uh, the deep bench on this show, if you will, and the amazing character actors that were hired to play small roles, in, frequently in one-offs. Some of mine, I thought in the spirit of Big Block of Cheese Day, were Big Block of Cheese actors. Mm -hmm. I wish there had been some progress on some of these things that they were pitching. I wish that we saw Nick Offerman return as Jerry to see whether Pluey was getting its highway. <laughs> so more Nick Offerman, I thought. That's a good one. And then I have uh, a soft spot for just all my friends. Bellamy Young, we talked about as Mary Lou Merriweather. Could have seen her again. She yeah. brought a fresh energy to the show. She definitely could have come back. Jeff Perry, Liza Weil, a lot of these people that are in the Shondaland universe. And uh, we have J.K. Simmons coming up, Oscar-winning Kim Simmons. Um, he's coming up in season seven as Harry Ravage. He's a nuclear regulatory commission guy. Can't discuss him at depth yet, but uh, he's an old pal of mine. I would have liked to see him more on the show. He played Colonel Jessup on Broadway. Oh, of course he did. Not originally, but yeah. He And he was uh, rather kick-ass in the role. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to agree with Jamie. CCH Pounder's Deborah O'Leary is fantastic. I mean, CCH Pounder, as we've talked about in the past, was one of the original considerations for the role of C.J. Craig. That's right. And I think she definitely could have been a great recurring character. Her appearance in, as Deborah O'Leary is pretty memorable and really felt like yeah, I absolutely could have imagined her coming back many times, if not even becoming a, a regular cast member herself. I will also second your mention of Liza Weil as Karen Larson in Take Out the Trash Day. She's the staffer who comes in and uh, she and Leo get into it because she thought that Leo maybe should not work at the White House. Right. And it's because of her own family's history with alcoholism. And they have this great touching scene. So after six and a half years, you're still not allowed to have a drink? The problem is, I don't want a drink. I want 10 drinks. Are things that bad? No. Then why? Because I'm an alcoholic. I don't understand. I know. It's okay. Hardly anyone does. It's very hard to understand. And as we discussed at the time, and this is years ago now in the context of our own podcast, um, but I'm pretty sure it was revealed to us that there was some talk about that character, Karen Larson, actually being a recurring character. The Liza Weil might have stuck around and, and come back. She and Leo had their own great dynamic, and I would have loved to have seen the two of them get to develop that further. I feel like they had their own sort of sweet rapport, even just in those few minutes together, there was a seed planted. Good chemistry, too. Yeah. That's a great question. Thanks, Jamie. 
And people should tweet at us with their votes. I'd love to hear who you'd nominate for more screen time on The West Wing. The next question comes to us from Casey Oaks. They ask, the flashback episodes are often fan favorites. Is there a moment or story arc pre-pilot that you'd like to have seen as a flashback episode? I will refer people back to a previous Big Block of Cheese Day episode where I made my case for an entire West Wing prequel. Mm. You answered that question as a flashback. Can we do like <laughs> can we do like flashback sounds and then a clip of what you said then? It would just be about two characters simultaneously on their rise up through the ranks. One in DC, a young Leo McGarry, and one, a young Fitz Wallace rising up through the US military. Mm. And their two paths kind of interweaving, coming in and out, but showing two different parts of these kind of institutions of America and their rise and maybe the difference between a young, a young white guy and a young black guy kind of at the same time. I still think that would be a great idea. I have very little hope that it'll ever actually happen, but I think it would be cool. Although I did just find out recently that the Sopranos are doing that. They're doing a prequel. That's right. And who's going to play young Tony? Uh, James Gandolfini's son. How great is that? Yeah. That made me sad when I heard that. It's wonderful and sad to think it would have been nice if his dad had seen him do that. It's just yeah, something heartbreaking about it, but beautiful. Yeah. I'll say there are a couple moments that I would love to see, specifically the moment where Sam and Josh met. That's a friendship that I really love. And we never actually find out how they first linked up. My answer is that selfishly, I would like Will Bailey to have gotten his flashback, his origin story. I think there's a lot there. there that would have been a fertile area to go to. Were he important enough for us to wonder anything about him that we haven't seen? <laughs> Is there a specific era or time in his life? We know his father was the supreme commander of NATO, mm-hmm. allied forces in Europe. Uh, we know that Will himself attended the University of Cambridge and was president of the Cambridge Union Society. Which society wrote to me to ask for my picture to be placed up on their wall? I have to go visit it someday. Amazing. So I just think he has a, a an interesting and distinctive history that I would like to have seen a smattering of. Mm -hmm. And I'll add to my previous answer that I'd also like to see the moment where Jed and Abby meet. Right, where he smashes into her on his bicycle (laughs) and they meet cute, which he makes a sudden Abigail stop. (laughs) Abigorial. Yes, there it is. (laughs) All right, moving on, moving swiftly through our questions. The next one comes from Sarah Richmond. What have you learned about each other as a direct result of doing the podcast? And have there been any surprises? Ooh, that's a very personal question. Would you like me to take it first? I'm trying to think as we've explored each other's minds and bodies, <laughs> what we've learned <laughs> making this podcast. Yeah, why don't you go first? And then I'll figure out how I, how to match that. <laughs> I think that maybe the biggest surprise, it doesn't really entirely feel fair to call it a surprise maybe, but... But um, one thing I've certainly enjoyed learning about Josh is what a great dad you are. I mean, an obscenely great dad, actually. You, you do some things that I think are just hard to fathom, actually, in service of your love of your kids. Like, I'm thinking specifically about the time when you passed up the offer to go to the White House because your daughter had a school ceremony. It wasn't her graduation or anything like that. It was just a thing that was happening towards the end of her senior year. And you said you'd rather go to that. Ah, that's sweet. That's just one example. There are, you know, many, many examples. Let the record reflect that they take all their own tests in the time allotted (laughs) to an average student. 
All right. Um, <laughs> so you're saying you're not that great of a parent. Well, right. There are some things you I want don't to snow do. plow or hover. <laughs> actually, I tell one brief. That's actually a very sweet thing for you to have said. And if there's one area in my life in which I hope to excel, that's the area. So I really I take that as high praise. There is a funny story where in an early, it must have been my daughter, Isabel, now 21, her first or an early dental appointment. It was like a Seinfeld episode. Uh, my wife and I were, I guess, in there trying to sort of be with her in case she was in pain or wanted to see a friendly face. And at one point, the nurse left the room and my eye just happened to fall onto her file. Mm-hmm. And I saw the phrase, parents hover. <laughs> <laughs> and we laughed so hard and we've we've said that to each other many times since parents ever that's what they do that's great it's a really nice i think counterpoint to the public image that i think you like giving off of being cantankerous and caustic you're actually clearly very sweet now i want to say how you are in real life because <laughs> everybody it. loves you but I can't. It's just not true. No, I would say that in the actual making of this show, the podcast, I have learned, not to my great surprise, but I've seen it as a fan of Song Exploder, which t-shirt I'm currently wearing (laughs) proudly. I knew you were a good interviewer because though we don't hear your voice, the meticulous episodes that I listen to are clearly the result of an excellent and incisive interviewer. But for this show, again and again, I've actually been on the line with you and an interviewee, an interview subject, and been able to witness how you guide an interview. What I really want to say is that I've learned that you are a terrific interviewer, and that's an important skill. Thank God you're good at it. (laughs) Well, thanks for saying that. Although I kind of wish you had picked something that couldn't be challenged by podcast listeners by just pointing to different parts of our podcast. Like the nice dad thing, no one can really counter that. I think there are many more instances of excellent interviews that you've led. Are there any uh, moments you wish you could buy back or things that didn't happen or interviews that you feel didn't go particularly well? I mean, you're, you're very hard on yourself altogether. So I'm sure if I asked you about any aspect of the show, you'd say there are all sorts of buybacks you'd like to do and things that could have done better. And that's just sort of the nature of you and the nature of an endeavor like this. But is there any specific thing like, oh, I didn't quite get that one or? Probably. I'm going to not try and think about it too hard in this moment. Fair enough. No, so I'm glad to know there's nothing at the forefront of your mind. No, I think generally I feel like I wish I had more polish in the moment. I always wish I didn't stutter quite so much and have awkward pauses while I'm asking them the question. Huh. But I do genuinely like it. I mean, it's been really, that's one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is getting to talk to so many different people from so many different parts of the world and, you know, who are dealing with so many different issues and so many of my favorite actors. It's really, that's been a real treat. It's exactly what I've hated. <laughs> well, I heard this thing <laughs> once that uh, one of the tips to being a good interviewer was to have genuine interest in people. Right. (laughs) I got to work on that. (laughs) Well, you know, I feel like now I'm analyzing myself in response to this question. I do have a genuine interest in people and I love to read about them. That's true. You do. I do. I just don't want to meet them and ask them questions. Yeah. I'm going to add this as a part two to my uh, answer. I did not know, again, it's not that surprising, but I didn't know 
how much nonfiction you consume before we started this show. And then in the course of just, you know, things coming up, it turns out you read a ton of nonfiction. All right. Yeah. Hey, Josh. Yes. Do you know my middle name? I guess the answer is no. I think you, you did at one point, though. I did. I lost it. <laughs> Chandra is my middle name. Do you know what my middle name is? It's very similar. Charles. Yes. Similar. Charles. You have to roll the R. Char- Charles. 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 <laughs> do I get any points for knowing your middle name? How do you know my middle name? I do my research. Wow. What is your middle name? I'm just going to leave that as something to for you to learn as we approach the... Uh, well, I'm just going to Google it now. It's going to be that podcast. way about it. <laughs> I wonder if it would it's come got up. It's got a vet. It's out there. Hang on. It is. Chandra. I don't think I ever knew that. Oh, okay. Now you do. Is that how you pronounce it? No. How do you pronounce it? Chandra. Chandra. The D is a little more like a TH. Chandra. Chandra. Mm. No. <laughs> Chandra. Yeah. There, that was a good one. Yeah. Let's print that one. <laughs> Okay, back to our questions. Sure. Tim Hoffin or Hoffine or Chandra. Chandra. <laughs> I suck, I'll do it. Chandra. Uh, says, here's a question for your big block of cheese day episode. In the season three episode, The Two Bartlets, aired in January 2002, Josh Lyman is tasked with contacting his friend who is protesting U.S. naval bombing practices on the Puerto Rican offshore island. How do you pronounce that? Vieques. Vieques. Okay, I thought so. Puerto Rican offshore island of Vieques. Interestingly, Jimmy Smits, who would later become Matt Santos in the West Wing, was arrested in <laughs> like 2000. Like I included in the West Wing. Like, <laughs> that's a <laughs> clarification we need. Was arrested in 2001 for his participation in protests against U.S. Navy bombing practices on the Puerto Rican offshore island of Vieques. Source, Wikipedia. My question, is it possible that the idea of Josh Lyman's friend in Vieques is based on Jimmy Smits' real-life arrest? Yes, it's possible. Next question. <laughs> yeah, that's basically, I wanted to include this question mainly because I think that's a great catch. Yes, in fact, Jimmy Smith's, I believe, was the inspiration for that character who we never actually see. Josh talks to him on the phone. It's not just a friend of Josh's. It's a friend of his who's an actor. As Leo puts it, a well-loved young man in the Hispanic community. Wait a minute. They got supplies and we don't have the time. He's got a cell phone. We've got the number. No. Yeah. Leo, if I wasn't working here, I'd, I'd probably be with him down there. Yeah, but you're working here. This is a crappy thing to do with friendship. These things aren't supposed to be personal. We're at DEFCON. And we never actually see him. This is Josh's friend, Billy. We never actually see him on screen. But I do th- think that that must be Jimmy Smith's that they're talking about. So it's a good connection. So in short, the answer is Yekis. <laughs> It's not the answer to anything, but uh, thank you, Tim, for your question. What else we got? Here's one. Nathan Wall asks, do you find that Will Bailey's support for Bob Russell unbelievable, or is he just doing his job? It's a little bit like saying, do you think Josh Molina did a good job acting? (laughs) (laughs) Was his performance credible or not so much? It's true. And, uh, And I would say, yes, I find Josh's acting credible. I find his support credible. I think we've talked about this enough in our regular recaps that we don't need to go into it too much. Yeah, I, I would have given a stronger yes to this before the last episode we recapped. I've spent the last year and a half looking for what you saw in him. You and the president. When you gave him this job. I had kind of been buying all along, you know, on this rewatch that will maybe a little bit less of the idealistic hero we want him to be, but 
it seemed like a plausible career move. And also, I believed that he saw a little bit more substance in Russell than most of those around him did. Mm-hmm. And then we had the scene with Leo where he's like, why am I doing this again? <laughs> See, I, I actually thought that the scene with Leo only added to what you're saying. I also felt like he had this pragmatic aspect to him. But I liked that in that question, you got to inject some sense of idealism there too. Like he was searching for the idealism in that mission that he kind of uh, bought in and had so much loyalty, in fact, for these two, for for the president and for Leo, that he he went in that direction. Plus, he's got all the pragmatic reasons as well. And he, he was able to sort of like bear all of that with a level of self-righteousness. And people, you know, like Toby were really against him for it. But I think that that scene gave him some credibility with people in the Bartlett administration. All right. Thank you. Thanks for doing a little character rehab for me. <laughs> Let's open this up to the uh, live studio audience. Hey, Nick, you have any questions for me and Josh? Well, as like a general thing, judging from like where you are now, like in terms of the show, like production and stuff, how is it versus when you guys first began season one? You are the biggest change. You're That's the true. biggest difference, Nick. Am I actually? That's true. Yeah. You hear you are in a room with me. That's weird. Uh, let me ask you this question that I'll answer as well. Yeah. We're, kind of, we're nearing the end. Maybe I should save this for the end. But how long do you think it'll be before you watch an episode of The West Wing post The West Wing Weekly? The thing is, by the time we finish our podcast in a mere nine months, wow, it will have been years since I've seen some episodes from season one. True. And I think at that point, that would probably be the longest I've gone without seeing it, some of those episodes. Not really. Truly, how often leading into this would you do a full rewatch? I mean, maybe not a full rewatch, but... Um, I'm meaning seasons one to four, I mean. Yeah, I've definitely never gone four and a half years or whatever without watching those seasons. Oh, that's wild. So the West Wing Weekly is keeping you from watching the West Wing. In some ways, yeah. <laughs> Outrageous. I think, in all likelihood, I'll never watch another episode of the West Wing. I believe that. What if your kids suddenly get into it, though? I was just about to say, because I'm such a great dad, as made clear by Rishikesh Chandra Hirway, <laughs> that the one exception I, I could imagine is if Avi said, hey, Dad, let's, you want to watch an episode of The West Wing? I, I would, you know, papers would fly as I rushed to try to find... Uh, actually, I wouldn't look for the DVDs. I'm donating my DVDs to a library. I realize I'm never going to watch it on. I have Netflix. Wait, 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 hold on. I have to stop you there. You're donating your West Wing DVDs? Why? Do you want them? No, but I'm just saying, are you, you could, you could sign them, auction them off for a lot of money and then give that money to charity. Ah, well, maybe I'll do that. I guess instead of giving them to the library. Should, okay. In any case, you shouldn't just give it to the library like you're some ordinary, you know, plebeian. <laughs> I was going to hold it up next to my face so they know that I, I'm in this. <laughs> anyway, it's funny that you caught the one. I can imagine watching it with my kids if they ever showed any interest. <laughs> awesome. I'll come over on that day. Invite me uh-huh. over. Okay. Oh, you know what's a question that we got that we, you didn't answer? What's that? Tina Marie asks, who is or was your favorite actor to work with? Mm, that's actually an intriguing question that I refuse to answer. Out of diplomacy? out of diplomacy in hopes that I'll work with them all again. Now, also, there's not a bad apple in the bunch. There's nobody I didn't enjoy working with. And different people would be for different things. You know, Brad and Allison, it was a lot of laughs and ridiculousness before 
action and aftercut. John Spencer and Martin Sheen, it was like taking an acting class working with them. Richard Schiff, the fact that our I love him so much and that our approaches are so antithetical made it fun for me. There was a certain friction you get between his sort of meticulous preparation and feeling that everything must be organic and my just jumping into it. All right. Well, who was your least favorite actor to work with? Mary McCormick. Okay, great. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like kidding. There were no bad apples, and I I have worked with bad apples. <laughs> it can be a bummer. Some people are difficult. Nobody in this show was. Who is or was your favorite podcaster to work with? Rishikesh Chandra. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, it was pretty Chandra. Good. I feel like I've even had a coaching session on this before. I'm realizing, like, I had did know your middle name because I, I feel like I've I've taken a lesson on it before. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's like remembering early tennis lessons. Like, oh yeah, I I took this class. <laughs> yeah, and like with tennis, I think you need to relax your grip on the racket a little bit. I think you're right. I think it's exactly right. <laughs> Chandra. Chandra. <laughs> I'm gonna work on it. Here's one from Kate Abbott. She asks a very Hey, I bet. She asks a question that got shows a very keen eye for detail. Hi, Rishi and Josh. My question is pure trivia, but it's something that's intrigued me ever since I first noticed it. Why does Josh Lyman switch from wearing his watch on his left wrist in seasons one and two to wearing it on his right wrist in season three onwards? Thanks for answering my question. That's some eagle-eyed observation, Kate. Indeed. I agreed when I read that question, though I have to admit, I thought there's not going to be a good answer to this question. And what did you find out? Color me surprised when I posed the question to our own Bradley Whitford, and he had a lovely answer. What did he say? This is the uh, rather touching, I thought, response from Bradley. My dad was right-handed, but he broke his left arm when he got his first watch as a kid, and for the rest of his life, he wore his watch on his right wrist. He was in the Navy on a minesweeper in the Pacific during World War II. He called it the big one. The other guys noticed it, and it became a good luck thing for them. (laughs) Dad died on the Father's Day after we shot the pilot. It was a busy time. Babies were coming and growing, and suddenly I was shooting every day. I didn't have time to process his death at the time, and it would wallop me in waves years down the line. I was missing him, and so I moved it to my right wrist as kind of a memorial. Thanks for noticing my little Freudian forearm dance of paternal connection and separation. His name was George Whitford, and he was a great dad, incredibly kind, and funny as hell. Incredible. Incredible. What a sweet answer, and uh, amazing that a viewer noticed it and thought to pose the question. I think this is my favorite question and answer of any big block of cheese day. It's going to be hard to top. Yeah. All right, I guess that does it for not only another episode of the West Wing Weekly, but another big block of cheese episode dare i say our final big block of cheese episode i think so we're down to the rind folks (laughs) josh normally i leave the cheese pairing up to you but are you going to go go along with my deep blue cheese pairing for this one for the entire episode yes i think so i think you nailed it excellent well i couldn't have done it without you nice (laughs) well i'm weighing my options (laughs) curds and whey no (laughs) well thanks for hanging out with us for one more episode and Now I'm getting sad. I'm actually feeling sentimental. Like, we're never going to do this again. Much as I hate it, I can't believe we're never going to do it again. It's sad. I want to do, you know, the live one was fun. I want (laughs) to, that's one of, I will say, one of my favorite memories of having done this podcast will be the Sketchfest show where Dulé was our guest and we did a live Big Block of Cheese Day and we bought a ridiculous (laughs) 50-pound 
a hunk of cheese and we actually serve people and then afterwards we were cutting ridiculous huge hunks people were taking bags of cheese away it was just so daffy and inane that it delights me it delights me too (laughs) and on that note let's never do it again okay thanks as always to nick song margaret miller and zach mcneese for their work on the podcast thanks also to all our questioners Sorry for anybody whose question we didn't get to. That's right. It was just a matter of running out of time. The West Wing Weekly is a proud member of Radiotopia. A veritable cheese plate of the finest podcast in the land. What cheese would our show be? Also a blue cheese, because it stinks. And because it may aged. (laughs) You can check out all the shows at radiotopia.fm. Okay. Okay. What's What's next? next? Radiotopia.